Careful now. Boing. So cool to be playing vinyl. Vinyl. Took the record off the turntable. You ready for this? Welcome to Behind the Vinyl. Here's your host, Stu Jeffries. Hello and welcome to Behind the Vinyl. I'm Stu Jeffries, and in this episode, three more stars drop the needle on one of their biggest hits and tell us a story or two about it. A guy standing there with three or four pizzas, and he said, I'm a piano player, will you give me a shot? Randy Bachman and how pizza came into play on Taking Care of Business in just a few minutes. But first, a song chosen by the new Musical Express as the quintessential 80s song. And that's pretty cool, considering the lyrics were written in just a couple of minutes. Robbie Gray from Modern English tells us all about I Melt With You on Behind the Vinyl. Here we go. There's no word yet. It's 1982 in a flat in London. It's cold. I'm sitting on the floor writing, just writing stream of consciousness lyrics. And uh, this, this song I Melt With You comes out of that. We'd normally been um, more of a punk rock band, more edgy, so this was one of our first uh, forays into verse, chorus, verse, chorus. We didn't really understand that songwriting thing. That was brought to the table by the producer, Hugh Jones, who did the After the Snow album, where this song comes from. So he had a major influence on piecing all the music together. I wrote the words in probably two minutes, just literally two minutes. And it all came flowing out, which is normally how good songs happen. Not always. I like that line, trapped in a state of imaginary grace. Who knows what I was on at that point. It's always amazing to play this song live, uh, the reaction we get. It's incredible. It's really incredible. People go absolutely nuts for this song all over the world. The Philippines. America, here in Canada, it's uh, been taken to the hearts of people and I think it sort of glides, I think with the acoustic guitars they just sort of, and the electric guitars, it kind of glides across the top of the track and then you've got, um, you know, me doing the vocals and I'd always been shouting on songs before, I'd never really sung on a song and there's not really any singing on this either, it's more spoken. But Hugh Jones, the producer, said, don't, don't shout into the microphone, just talk into it. Because I'd never, I'd, I'd never done that before. I was a punk rocker. And um, so I did. I just uh, kind of stood back and mouthed the words. And I think that's a lot of the attraction of the verses on um, I Melt With You is that almost spoken quality. The video we made for it, which was uh, one of the biggest videos on MTV that year in America, um, we, we did that for like a thousand Canadian pounds, you know, nothing. We carried all the stuff in ourselves and set it all up. It was, and it was one of the biggest ever videos on MTV around 82, 83, 84, which is when it came out. And this is an interesting bit. I mean, the idea of me humming on a song, would have, I never would have done anything like that. Again, that was the producer, Hugh Jones, uh, twisting my arm and getting me to do things that at the time I didn't like to do, but when I look back at it, it's amazing. Hand claps, 
and that drum part. That's a massive part of the song as well. And key, Steve's keyboard line. It's a big chorus hook on it. Good song, really. Here comes Elastic Band Fade. Robbie Gray from Modern English and I melt with you on Behind the Vinyl. I'm Stu Jeffries and Randy Backman takes care of business in just a couple of minutes. But first, a regular on Behind the Vinyl, Gowan, who tells us the story behind all the lovers in the world, his first venture into co-writing. All the lovers in the world. That's... Kenny Greer on guitar, and you, you know him, you know his sound right away, everything about his approach is from all the years of playing with Tom Cochran and Red Ryder. This is a song that, um, this is the first time I put out a co-written song on a record, and it opens the Lost Brotherhood album. And All the Lovers in the World was maybe the fourth or fifth attempt that uh, Eddie Schwartz and I had it at co-writing. And Eddie, of course, wrote Hit Me With Your Best Shot, so everyone knows who he is and uh, he was he had had great experience with co-writing and I wanted to kind of delve into it and, and learn what happens when you co-write with someone how do the ideas bubble up and our first three or four attempts were okay you know and I thought maybe this isn't for me and but Eddie was not let's keep at it because some, something's beginning to emerge and this is the song that finally when we finished this one we, we looked at each other and kind of went well, what do you think? And Eddie said, that's a hit. And when he says that, it's usually a hit. <laughs> so I had, I had great confidence going into the, the recording of it. <laughs> um, unlike the rest of the record, funny enough, this one was played on by, uh, the rest of the album was done with uh, the rhythm section of Jerry Murata and Tony Levin or probably best known as playing with Peter Gabriel. And of course, on the rest of the record, Alex Lifeson is the guitarist, uh, and Kenny played on a good number of them. But Kenny is the only guitarist on this particular track, and we used a drummer named Greg Critchley, who wound up doing the tour with us. Uh, Eddie played bass, and I filled out all the rest of the keyboard stuff, and we did these, I remember these harmonies, this whole thing here. That's Eddie and myself getting that, that vocal stack together. So we really kind of, we became really simpatico, not just in the writing, but in the, in the recording of it. And Eddie produced the, produced the song. Uh, part of the reason is it sounded so good on the radio when, I, when it first came out is it was mixed by a fellow named Chris Lord Algy. And if you, if you Google his name, you'll see, you know, there's so many hits that this guy has mixed. I mean, Prince and Madonna and Elton John and Stevie Nicks and he just, you know, it, it was amazing because when he came here to mix it, we did it at the Metalworks, he came out to mix it and um, <laughs> that's Kenny on the steel there. We were kicked out of the out of the mixing room for six hours while he worked on it and that turned out to be a good thing, that's why it sounds like this. Um, the other great memory about this song is that we did the video at a place called Gage Park in Hamilton. And uh, 
I remember there was this piece of sculpture called the Lover's Bench that was donated by this artist. Her name will come to me, of course, when we finish, but she donated it to the city of Toronto, and apparently people found it really offensive. It, it, it featured one person on the end of the bench sitting by themselves, kind of looking off into space, and on the other end was this couple who were engaged in uh, or making out or whatever phrase you, they use nowadays. And uh, people in Toronto found it kind of offensive, so I thought, okay, well, that's good. We'll do that like a thousand times over. And Deborah Samuel directed a video where we had all these park benches with uh, three people on the bench, and uh, that sort of depicted the, the notion of all the lovers in the world. Gowan and all the lovers in the world on Behind the Vinyl. I'm Stu Jeffries, and our final guest is the legendary Randy Backman, who tells us one of the keys to BTO's taking care of business was ordering pizza? There it is. My mistaken beginning on that. I had banged my guitar and it was out of tune. I went to play Chuck Berry Bottom and it sounded different. I checked the tuning and found out, yeah, I need to retune my guitar and I had to relearn how to play that intro. And then when we were recording it, there was a knock at the door and a guy standing there with three or four pizzas and we had already been in the studio 14 hours and he said, did you guys order the pizza? And I said, no, down the hall, Steve Miller was recording his Fly Like an Eagle album and War was doing their Why Can't We Be Friends album. So I said, go down the hall and ask for Steve Miller, or ask for Jerry in the, in the next studio. And then he came back and the song was still playing. We were putting on our coats, it was about one o'clock in the morning. And he said, uh, that song sounds like you could really use a piano. And I said, yeah, I'd like to get Elton John or Little Richard, but they're kind of in LA right now having a party. And he said, I'm a piano player, will you give me a shot? And I said, you're kidding. He said, no, just, I've been listening to the song, it's real easy, it's three chords. So uh, I said, okay, he wrote down the chords and the spaces on a napkin. We threw a mic in the piano, he played the piano and left. And uh, the next day, Charlie Fatch came into our studio and he said, let me hear the song. And I said to the engineer, when you play it, don't play the piano track. We hadn't heard it back, we just let him play one take. I thought I'd give him a break and I'd erase it the next day. So we come back in and Charlie's, I said, when you play TCB, keep the piano track down. But halfway through the song, the engineer pushed up the volume and then came the piano. Charlie said, what is that? BTO to piano? That's incredible because Elton John owns Top 40 radio and album radio. And you having keyboards will get you some real estate on Top 40 radio because all you guys, ZZ and Doobies and Frampton, you're all the same. Your guitar, bass and drums. Errol Smith, you're all the same. Having you having the piano, we give you some Elton John space on Top 40 Radio. Play it again. We backed it up, played the whole thing with the piano. He said, that's amazing. Who's playing the piano? And I said, a pizza delivery guy. And he said, seriously? And I said, seriously? I don't know who this guy was. He, brought, he was standing at the door with some pizza, and he delivered it down the hall. He said, well, we got to find him. So we had to do some detective sleuth work. We had to get yellow pages, phone around to try to find this guy. Long story short, his name was Norman Durkee. That's one piano track he did. And um, that was a break for him. He went on to become Bette Midler's uh, music director on her first North American tour. And when I toured in 95 as part of Ringo Starr's All-Star Band with Billy Preston and John Entwistle and Mark Farner and, and Ringo, uh, our tour ended in LA at the Hollywood Bowl. And the, the pianist for the LA Philharmonic was Norman Durkee, same guy. So that's kind of the story of this guy who just walked in and said, I'm a piano player, give me a break. There was his break. 
Randy Backman and BTO and taking care of business on Behind the Vinyl. As this podcast ends, another one waits in the wings. I'm Stu Jeffries. See you next time on Behind the Vinyl. This has been Behind the Vinyl, the podcast. Hosted by Stu Jeffries. Audio production courtesy of Doug Morehouse, Derek Walsman, and Troy McCallum. Thanks for listening.